0: the
1: youthscape
0: podcast hello and welcome to another edition of the youthscape podcast my name is martin saunders
1: and my name is Rachel Gardner, and we're delighted that you're tuning in to hear our little wittering, rambling thoughts today.
0: Do you know that recently we surpassed 100,000 downloads of the Youthscape podcast? And
1: they couldn't all be me just listening in to us. They not all then. be you. You right. can only download it once. Does that mean we are now sort of on some kind of level, a serious podcast?
0: We are. Um, it's the, the best podcasts are um, Joel Osteen.
1: Oh, right. Oh, but this, we're like, that's 1000000s uh, The
0: the 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 Theos one. And then us—that's <laughs> the—that's the ranking.
1: Is that the order, Joel Osteen? That's it. Fios. That's it. You probably need to explain who Theos are. Seeing as probably need to explain who Joel Osteen is. <laughs> to people know who he is, don't I they? Hope not.
0: So
1: the, the role of podcasts in society. Then I mean, is, yeah. has this taken over news outlets? Do we listen more to podcasts than anything mm-hmm. else? Do we, is that does that shape and inform our ideas? More so I think ideas? podcasts
0: went through a lull and then they had a big resurgence. So podcasts first appeared. Everybody launched a podcast. Everyone got very excited about podcasts. And then they went a bit quiet, mm-hmm. and then there was a real kind of three or four years ago. Before we launched this, um, there was a bit of a resurgence. There was the serial podcast, which they started making—not dr- um, dramatic, but um, serialized documentary oh, yes, yeah. podcast. And the, the, if you've if not listened to it, stop listening to this. And go what? and download the first series of Serial, cuz is absolutely astonishing.
1: Is it really? Uh, it's an
0: amazing documentary. Okay. Uh, anyway, back to this. Yes, back you're to this. If you still Keep
1: listening to this.
0: Um, yeah, so podcasts have sort of come back a bit, and I think that you're seeing new ones, interesting ones, you, you listen it. to some interesting I love ones, I listen
1: to The Guilty Feminist, because yeah. I want to hear what the narrative for women is in culture, and I think that what, what Deborah and Francis White and that team are doing, there's a, they've got a finger on the pulse, now whether you agree with everything that you hear or not, you can't deny that they are, they are speaking a language for women, that women are listening to, mm. and the other one is Malcolm Gladwell, I oh, love yeah. Malcolm Gladwell, and... Our guest today, she has a podcast and I've started listening to her as well, but more about her later.
0: Is that your dream podcast guest, Malcolm Gladwell?
1: Actually, Deborah Francis-White, Elizabeth Oldfield and Malcolm Gladwell would be three of my dream guests. Is that your, your
0: dream guests. dinner oh, party? yes,
1: definitely. Now, we're going to
0: talk a bit a bit today about disagreement. Yeah. And so here's what I want to know, Rachel Gardner. Yes. I just forgot, momentarily forgot your surname. <laughs> are you are you? Rachel Gardner. Um, uh, do you have online... Do you have because you have a lot of a lot of um, I was gonna say you have a lot of lovers, you don't have a lot of lovers, um, you have a lot of fans, a lot of I friends, don't have fans. but um, do you have anybody who goes for you online? Have you ever had people who? Who sort of have a pop at you online? Yeah, I,
1: I, I wouldn't say there's one or two that are constantly doing. it. I know some people have that, don't they? But I would, yeah. I, there'd be people that snipers. Yeah, and I. But I also think there are some other. I just know if there are certain things that I was to tweet. Yeah, it would immediately cause kind of eruptions in certain places, and that yeah. wouldn't be a specific person. That would just be. It's such a sensitive issue. Um, There are, I I probably get it less online. I remember some places speaking as a woman and people tweeting saying you shouldn't be allowed to speak because you're a woman and that kind of thing. But I think, Martin, you've experienced a bit more of that than I have, actually. I
0: have. I've got actual haters. Yeah. So I've had, I I used to write quite a lot. I've obviously um, kind of paused all, yeah. the, all the writing that I've been been doing not not because I've been bullied out of it mm. because I've started doing more youth exactly. ministry yeah. but um, but I have uh, have stopped doing it for a while when when I was doing a lot of writing yeah. I had quite a lot of people who would send me mm. unpleasant notices of different kinds mm. uh, to say you know things from I I disagree with you in a, in mm. an un- unpleasant way to um, you are um, you know the uh, incarnation of Satan's mm-hmm. child.
1: Mm. I I think one of the big problems. I'm not joking social- by the way. Someone no, actually I, sent me that. I know I did see it. You sent it to me to have a look at. But I think one of the problems with the digital age is that we we are so hungry to have it to for shaping our views and 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 changing things and and kind of naming and claiming what we believe in. But it's the worst format for doing that. It's the mm. worst medium. Like. I, so I'd like to know, what is it that most shapes our views and our ideas? And, and are we almost bit training ourselves out of thinking really, really well? Like, how do we engage as Christians mm. with stuff in culture? If we think that's not okay, or we want to bring a different angle or a different approach, is, is it possible to do any of that with mm. podcasts? Or Maybe podcasts are the way to do it, because actually you can develop an idea quite well in the way that yeah. on social media you can't.
0: Yeah, and you can hear both sides of the story yeah, and, and have a bit more of a reason debate. The problem with... Social media, it happens in this weird abstract vacuum Mm. where you just suddenly feel weirdly emboldened to speak much more strongly to Mm. someone you don't know
1: personally as well, yeah, attacking them personally. I
0: I found it fascinating uh, when Vicky Beeching's book Um, Undivided came out. Well, that was the way people were prepared to speak about her. Yeah. Um, and to, and to her, yeah. um, you know, and, and quite presumptuous statements about mm. her and her motivations and mm. things like that, which I just don't believe mm. you would you would possibly do in, in a room with somebody.
1: No, a live would, debate, you'd no. You never have that conversation.
0: No. So if you had a podcast mm. where you had Vicky and somebody else yes. who, who took opposing views on, on same-sex attraction and all the kind of stuff around that, mm. um, I don't believe that those two people would go, go for each other think they'd have a sensible conversation and
1: I think the other thing that happens that social media can allow as well is that you can defend someone else's corner and I think that's the most interesting evolution of this debate I think particularly with Vicky's book coming out and the article about the book that kind of erupted all of this was that the voices that got involved were, were defending people involved Yeah. so you had these two or three removed and, yeah. and, and did it because they feel compassionate or because they feel that there was a kind of a, a misalignment that happened they yeah. wanted to correct something and then other people would come and correct them and yeah. others would come and correct yeah. them and, yeah. and, and as you say then these figures at the center of it become yeah. almost archetypes stereotypes for a debate that is still not happening because it's become about defending them and defending them. and i think it's I, i'm so interested to hear when christians find a way of having the, the right tone a winsome tone and and the ability to connect really positively with mm. A big narrative in culture because we should be able to do it, and Christians yeah, often are yeah. the worst at this. We, the we thing, struggle. The, most. the other thing
0: I find interesting is this weird self-importance that 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 the tone of a lot of Christians on on mm. social media or
1: anybody with a cause, actually. I well, think yeah, you just sort yeah. of become very pious and yes. self
0: so self righteous. Think you, you
1: think you've done that. I think I've done me, that. of
0: course, yeah. Yeah. of course. You know when I. Have tweeted, you know, my view on something. Mm. There is a moment. I mean, my wife always says to me, My wife absolutely can't stand social media. Mm. And she says, Why are you why are you telling people your opinion on something? Mm. So why who do you think you are? Mm. And I think she's got a good point. Mm. Like actually, we all do that. We all kind of go, Oh, you know, here's my here's my pronouncement on mm. stuff. You don't do that in any other part of life. Like social media has created a weird kind of speaker's mm. corner
1: mm. everywhere
0: where you, you suddenly feel compelled to tell people how you feel about everything. Mm. And you look at an issue like Brexit... Or something like that. And we're all, you know, turning on on each other with these sort of self-important rants.
1: Yes. And the problem is that if you don't get involved, your silence is read as something, isn't it? Complicity in one side or both. it's very, very tricky, isn't it? And I know with some of the debates recently online, I've chosen to to speak to people privately, separately. So I don't put it public. So it looks like I'm not getting involved, but actually I am. I'm just speaking directly to the people involved. I think that's much more honouring, isn't it? Having said all that, there absolutely is, is massively a need for... Um, people speaking in the public sphere whether that's social media or in government or through media to really help shape really positive ideas about religion about faith, particularly for young people we on this podcast talk a lot about really important stuff like well-being and sexual health and um, suicidal ideation all that kind of stuff, we often talk about the kind of youth work where we're helping young people inform philosophical and and views and how do you engage with humanist secularism and neoliberalism, those sorts of phrases Um, and our guest today I, th- I think is an absolute radiant shining example yeah. of how you can do this yeah. brilliantly and she makes it look like a walk in the park she does she? and
0: also so uh, it's uh, Liz Oldfield yes uh, from Theos uh, the brilliant thing about her is when I talked earlier about self-important tone you could not get further from it than, no. than, than, than Liz and and the great thing about her is she has the brain the size of a planet yeah she does you know she is she, She's genuinely like you know, she she clearly knows more about most of the things I know a lot about than I do, and they're probably not even things she knows much about. You know, she's she. But but what's brilliant yeah. about it? She's so gracious about
1: it. Yeah, she is.
0: And 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 so that tone is so, and it is a bit of a Christian word, and it is you know we've talked I think we've said before how this word is only ever applied to women but she is winsome mm. like she is she wins you over with mm. her manner that's mm. what the word means
1: and, she, and it's fun like she makes and I think that's the beautiful thing about it that often in her role it's often been men in, in the role that she takes. So, so Theos is a phenomenal think tank trying to help um, inform some really positive views in society about religion and faith. And they are research, they are underpinned by research. Traditionally in the past, not Theos now, but traditionally in the past, you'd imagine people in that kind of role would be kind of stuffy old male academics who kind of are a little bit socially awkward or whatever, that would be my perception. Liz is completely different, isn't she? She loves debate, it's fun for her. She genuinely likes people. Mm. She's interested and curious where they're coming from and for the sake of our listeners here she found faith she came to Jesus at some survival so how way into this, was actually through something profoundly experiential, which she talks about in the interview, because that's not separate, our brain is not separate, to the immersive experience of the spirit, so here we go, I went to London and caught up with this amazing woman who was wearing the best lipstick and the best dress, and I say that not to objectify her, but because actually when I look at her I think, you're just so creative, like you just love kind of expressing through what you wear and how you speak and how you engage, the life-changing truth of Jesus, and it was just a pleasure to meet her. So here you go. This is me chatting with Liz.
0: You've escaped your podcast. where
1: sat here with uh, elizabeth oldfield who is a director of fios and i've balanced my phone on your novel yep. which is not a novel that you've written but a book that you're reading yes my current uh, its it's
2: norwegian historical epic romance <laughs> yeah no highbrow stuff
1: for me so you hide away in here in your lunch break as director of fios it's incredible think tank yeah and you read actually i go to the park do you
2: and i, I have my that. 20 minutes not looking at a screen turning my brain
1: off and then I come back, and I'm much better at my job. Well, before we get onto what we were going to chat about, that is fascinating because probably this has been listened to by lots of us who are quite screen fanatics. Yeah. So why is that a kind of a discipline for you? Switch yeah. screens off. What What benefit is it bringing you?
2: I feel like, particularly because I work in the world of ideas. I can have this voice in my head that's like, must read everything now, must know everything everyone is saying and all of the news in the world. Uh, and actually it's not healthy and it's not good for our attention spans. And I do, you know, I use social media a bit and I get a bit addicted to the that dopamine hit of engaging with people. And I think as, you know, there's ancient Christian practices about fasting and rhythm and uh, structuring your day uh, to help you keep your eyes and your heart on what's important. So building in time away from screens and sometimes when i like physically locking myself out and using blockers and asking my husband to change my password and burying my work phone somewhere in the house that I can't get to it you have to use all of these things otherwise I'd be quite unhealthy I think Mm. you know maybe I'm just weak but no I think you're incredibly
1: strong I think you're absolutely amazing and and as somebody who your life is about ideas creating ideas sort of um, interrogating ideas has it changed your idea capacity creation? Ooh. this sort of space in life i mean it all hangs on this elizabeth if you say no then we are all gonna legitimately get our phones back yeah. out like but have you noticed it definitely has yeah it means that you have space to be
2: to be a bit more creative i think and actually there's lots of you know there's lots of research that there's certain types of thinking that can only be done uh, in certain modes you know in certain levels of calm in certain levels of um quiet or solitude or focus particularly i'm someone who's really easily distracted and i can't do a big bit of writing or reflect on the strategy of the organization or really think deeply about how we help people and societies flourish in the like five minute gaps between me checking twitter Mm. that's not how that work gets done i have to lock myself away and, and and engage both my heart and my mind um in prayer and in reflection and study and uh, i i worry that the way we're living our lives is making that less and less easy mm.
1: Mm. now i've grabbed you today because i want to talk to you a bit about hostility mm-hmm. um and people might have heard you speak on radio four they've probably definitely heard of theos think tank probably need a bit of insight from you as to what it is that you do so it's so first up what does theos do what
2: do you do here yeah well i wouldn't be surprised if lots of people haven't heard of it because think tanks are a slightly weird thing that exists in a particular metropolitan bubble. But a think tank is basically a research organization with an agenda and you have economic think tanks and health think tanks, all kinds of different think tanks. And we're a religion think tank and our agenda really is that um, Christianity in particular and religion in general uh, have a huge amount to offer for the common good that they can help societies flourish and that the narratives about religion and Christianity are unnecessarily negative, that there are bad things about religion and we can't you know, gloss over those things. We get it wrong, other faiths get it wrong, human beings get it wrong, for goodness sake, of course we do. Um, but the hidden story of how much good is done both by the people and the local church and also by these ideas about human value and equality and freedom and the love of God are good for us. Mm. So we want to be doing really great, rigorous research media engagement uh you know political advocacy events building relationships with people who think christianity is a bit of a write-off helping show them that they're wrong fantastic
1: so hence hostility then because i think the last time i heard you speak you were i think you were engaging in a debate with a secular humanist john yeah. radio for i have to say you came out the absolute victor because you managed to rise above the kind of the snidey comments and the hostility. But I guess as somebody who wants to share your faith in a public forum mm. and change the dialogue, the national conversation about yeah. faith, that comes at a cost. And, and you are often speaking into spaces where people don't want to hear what you're saying, yeah. don't want to engage. Yeah, Tell us a little bit about how, how do you train yourself for that? Yeah,
2: So I think it's the work of a lifetime. Um, and I read a lot about people like Martin Luther King and others who, in a much more extreme setting, dealt with hostility and anger, with this incredible grace that um, spoke volumes and had a real moral authority to it. And obviously, Martin Luther King is drawing deeply on the teachings of Jesus. So I try and start with um, my my sense of myself, my sense that I am loved, my sense that I am known, my sense I don't have to earn anything and my value is not based on how other people see me because that gives me um I sometimes call it a stability of soul and it means I can go out into the world and not not be too buffeted when as often happens I realize that I've walked into a room as a Christian I introduce myself I'm from a Christian think tank and I can see on people's faces that they are triggered that they have all of these associations in their mind with the thing that I hold so dear that are deeply negative. And they're assuming I'm a homophobe. They're assuming I'm a bigot. They're assuming I'm a Fruit Loop. And that holding my ground there, uh, and sometimes they don't say it. I can just see it or they walk away. And sometimes they say it, you know, and whether that's on Twitter or social media, after I've been on the radio or in person, uh, I do encounter a lot of very hostile people And I think the natural reaction for human beings is to be kicked into fight or flight by that. You know, we get this rush of cortisol, we start feeling a bit sick, we start feeling a bit sweaty, and we desperately want to either lash out in anger, because when you're threatened you can feel angry and defensive, right, and tell them they're wrong or refute their arguments or just write them off as not worth bothering with, or we, and that's fight, or we get kicked into flight and then we will retreat and only be with people who are like us, who know us, who we feel safe with. So a lot of what we talk about at Theos and one of the things I work on is um, managing my, flight or fl- my fight or flight, managing that moment where I could be defensive and bitter and a terrible witness for the gospel, or I could run away and be a terrible witness for the gospel. I'm trying to stay there and do what Jesus calls us to do, which is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, turn the other cheek, seek the good of those around you. Um, and practically, really, that looks like not getting defensive, empathising with where they're coming from, acknowledging that they might be wounded, realising that there's a lot going on with this person who is loved by God. Maybe they're gay and they assume I hate them. Maybe they're wounded by the church. Maybe the whole idea of God existing is too big a possibility for disappointment for them, right? Maybe they had terrible parents and a loving God. There's all kinds of reasons why even the very concept of Christianity can create an emotional firestorm with someone. Mm. So a lot of the time, I'm just trying to do with them what I try and do with myself and what I try and do with my toddler, which is just like emotion coach Mm. and start with empathy. And it's a youth work thing, right? Connect before you correct. Don't try and tell someone they're wrong until they trust you Mm. because they won't listen. Mm. Uh, Listen to them. Try and seek what's going on. Be as calm in the face of hostility as you possibly can. And people very quickly calm down. If Mm. you just say, I'm sorry, you're so angry. That must be hurtful you're right, that was a terrible thing that happened. Within two or three tweets, two or three, you know, responses in a conversation, that person is out of the, the spike of hostility
1: and you can begin to see yeah. each other as human beings you and build a friendship. Talk. Yeah. So I love that you talked about emotional coaching because uh, you're being listened to by youth workers who, that's what we do, absolutely. We also work with young people who, who kind of, I know for my little group on a Sunday morning, they sort of arrive in church and we begin to speak about sharing faith with their friends and i just watch the body language i watch them all cave in on themselves because actually what they find on a sunday morning with with us and the youth workers is a safe place no one's going to be angry with me no one's going to challenge me and call me a homophobe no one's going to say i'm weird because i go to church and and they're they're hearing us say you know that place that's super hostile where where people will just laugh at you because you're a christian yeah we want you to go and share your faith there yeah so we realize this is a massive ask and we we don't chuck our young people in the deep end. In this We do not send them where we would not be prepared to go. So yeah. we have to kind of make sure that we are speaking with our friends about Christ and, and learning how to cope in those environments. But but what, what's some of the kind of top tips for those of us that want to coach young people who are living out their faith in hostility, in a yeah. hostile environment? Um, I think... Uh, a bit of intellectual
2: undergirding is really helpful mm-hmm. and actually things only, I only was able to start doing this after I started getting a little bit of apologetics training uh, my, my faith for a long time was very emotional I became a Christian so at Fiverr, uh, you know I had an ecstatic experience mm. my faith was all about my feelings and my relationship with God and there were all these people out in the world who had intellectual questions and I had no answers for them yeah. and actually working uh, through getting a little bit of training in apologetics I remember I went on a training weekend in apologetics and I got in the cab on the way to the station after leaving the conference Centre and had a conversation with the driver about God because I was no longer scared. And there's a great Christian apologetics festival called Reboot uh, for Youth. There's you know, there's bad apologetics out there, so you do have to be a bit careful, but there's a lot of good apologetics out there that just means they have at least some undergirding in what might be the beginning of an answer to some of these hard questions, right? And that helps a lot with confidence. Mm. Um, so apologetics is the first thing. I think the second thing is uh, just that discipleship thing of i am loved by god and when i get that trigger of shame because my social status is being threatened Mm. to dig into the love of god to dig into your identity in christ and dig into the people who are going to affirm that in you and then i think the third thing is just cultivate curiosity about what other people believe so i never I, i only i only really share my faith quite far down into relationship if people are interested and I'm a journalistic kind of person by background and I'm nosy. Mm. And if you just ask in a really polite, interesting way, what people believe and keep asking interesting questions, eventually you will have big conversations and it will be fascinating. Mm. Um, and that eventually in, in relationship to trust and respect gives you permission to share your faith. Yes. Throwing a bomb into a group that don't know you about, you know, a Bible verse or uh, some tribal thing about Christianity is going to get you into trouble. It is. Mm. Uh, and, uh, a much more thoughtful approach I I find people are really open once you're able to get past the um the assumptions and the barriers and have them know that you care about them Mm. like if we don't care
1: about the people we're talking to then we shouldn't be speaking to them at all and it's brilliant just sat with you because you are articulating all those things that I think when I was a teenager probably had someone really pushed me I'd have been able to say Yeah, actually, I know that I don't have to stand up in the school canteen and say to everybody, X, Y and Z. Repent. Yeah, but actually, if nobody kind of articulates that, I think that I should be doing that. And I feel real shame if I've not told my friends about Jesus. And I think the teenagers that we work with today in my own experience that I think they're still kind of working on that old model if we're saying actually go in and kind of fight <laughs> fight your corner or speak up for what you believe it is this kind of like whatever happens just bash them down and make sure that you're the last person standing and it doesn't matter about people's feelings actually what's more important is the truth and that you are standing up so when you hear in your class your teacher says X, Y and Z you've got to and it's amazing it's so how, harmful and it is harmful and I know people are crushed by that because yeah. they feel shame they feel they've let Jesus down yeah. and they arrive in the next tell me see them just feeling an utter failure don't they oh it's dreadful like
2: that what we see in scripture is jesus who's interested in people and is interested in where they are and their questions and it's this you know it's the same thing in anything it's the same in networking it's the same in life if we spend our whole time orientating towards the other person what is where are they how can i understand them better how can i listen how can i Bless them, how can I love them? Then these things happen naturally. If we go in with our agenda and our three point list and our, you know, two ways to live and slam people around the heads with
1: it, then we deservedly will get laughed mm, out of the room. Mm as a young youth worker said to me recently um a young person questioning all sorts of things doesn't stop god being god and i just think that we know that to be true amongst ourselves as youth pastors do our young people know that yeah. do our young people know that their friends and even themselves asking these questions yeah doesn't change god being god he yeah. loves us so unconditionally yeah. and i think that's part of the problem isn't it that we in churches struggle with apologetics we don't have spaces where we can talk about the big questions because yeah. we're afraid that if we name it it sounds like doubt or it yeah. sounds like we're yeah. not kind of part of this church. I mean, I doubt, I doubt
2: every day. The reason I can do this job is I took my faith apart and put it back together again. Or it was taken apart and God put it back together again. I don't know. You know, I became a Christian in a very... Relation, you know, I didn't come from a particularly Christian family, very loosely cultural. I'm a Christian because someone invited me to their youth group. I'm a Christian because of good youth workers. Wow. I'm a Christian because of Soul survivor But I'm still a Christian because I needed to ask the hard questions. I needed uh, to say, what if, what if this is all nonsense? What, why is the bible this hard you know what about uh sexuality what about gender what about violence and i needed to really robust it and i had a year of trying to be an atheist and i had a year of giving up on a lot of it and god called me back and now because i know i know uh, n- nothing anyone can throw at me i won't have heard before and i've been there so i get it and i empathize i, I, I f- know what it feels like to be an atheist and i know it's worse so i i, I think if youth workers can help their um, young people through that process and not be scared of it and help them provide resources, but also say, look, if this falls apart when you ask one hard question, it's not worth it. Like, it's not true if there isn't good answers for this. And maybe I don't know them, but here's some people that I can send you to. Mm. You know, my, the youth workers that helped me become a Christian did that. I said, what about suffering? And they said, we weren't particularly academic people, but they'd say, let me get back to you next week. And then yeah. they just suggest some things and yeah. say... Other people have asked these questions before, and that before. affirmed
1: your questioning, didn't it? Rather than make you feel that your questions are in, inherently dangerous. Yes. So the bit of research that we were, um, we released, Uscape released recently, um, no questions asked, kind of, really sadly, on one level showed there just isn't the kind of the culture of curiosity and among young people partly because actually they're profoundly sensitive to the fact they live in a diverse world way more so than i was growing up they're very conscious that actually asking questions might cause offense when when they're in a world where they see on twitter you know the the leaders of the main huge countries of the world like fighting stuff out over twitter so they're they're aware that words are powerful and they want to use their words really well so that's that's such a beautiful thing about this generation of young people But I suppose it it, it means that for us as youth workers and practitioners, we have got to model that asking questions is okay, that saying, I don't know the answer to that, or I'm going to go and find out, or I'd really like to know what you think, or I don't think I agree with you, but I still affirm you. That is so important, isn't it? It is not it Absolutely. And giving
2: other Christians a break. Like, I remember being disappointed with the adult Christians that I knew, because they couldn't handle my questions because i'm really geeky right i'm interested in philosophy i'm interested in in history and, and how the bible was put together and that's not everyone's experience that's not everyone's faith uh but it, it took meeting a bunch of very very clever christians who'd asked these questions and weren't phased by Brilliant. them to convince me that there was a place for me but looking back i realized i was, I was a bit harsh <laughs> because uh like we are all on a journey and none of us know all the, answers and, uh, the The people in public who aren't Christians who look like they know all the answers probably don't either. Mm. Like, there are no real (laughs) grown-ups. You know, there is no the wisdom of the world uh, and the wisdom of Christians is pretty shallow, which is why we go to God for it. Yes. But we have to, I think, have grace with ourselves and with others
1: as we're wrestling with this stuff. Oh, that sounds absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. So so you are sort of dotting all over this place, speaking here, there and everywhere. You have your own podcast, which yeah. sounds phenomenal, because on your podcast you are interviewing people who hold very different ideas to you, yeah. and basically you're doing what you do best, which is ask big questions and yeah. pursue stuff. So it's trying to
2: model these, kind of, these conversations across different... So we have people who are atheists or agnostics or from other religions or are, are Christians but are campaigning around disability or, you know, who are part of these public conversations that feel like they're very tribal and very fractious and we've forgotten, not just on religion, how to engage with people who disagree with us. So I'm trying to model good disagreement, I'm trying to model helping people reflect on what they hold sacred and why they believe what they believe and get us past this kind of instinctive self-righteous, I'm right and you're wrong, I'm right and you're You know, evil, Mm. but to help us understand each other better. And actually, in talking about what we believe and why, I've just developed loads of lovely friendships out of that podcast because you can't help but. Connect with someone when you talk about what you believe, even if what you believe is radically different, yes. which it often is. Yes. Um, so it's fun. I love it. Sounds great.
1: I'm just wondering as you're speaking, like how would that play out in a youth work setting? Because not all the youth work that we do is necessarily in a church-based setting. And there's people mm-hmm. listening who do school, they're school chaplains, or they're working on the street. But actually, being the people that invite into that safe space with young people, here's an atheist. Here's someone who thinks yeah. this, and actually just saying to a young, let's just talk about this, let's yeah. ask questions. That's awesome. So we could nick that idea yeah. from you. Um, you've also produced a report. Yeah. Are, am I able to talk about this of report? Of course, please. It's called um, After Grenfell, the, the faith group's response. What, what were your findings with this? So um, the Grenfell Tower uh,
2: fire last year was obviously an absolutely extraordinary tragedy, an example of failure all the way along the line. You know, failure in planning, failure in execution, failure in investment in a community, failure in emergency services response, although I think unwittingly, and And importantly, failure in the post fire follow up okay. and um into that gap uh, after the fire came, the faith communities who are uh, who were already there around the fire, many of the people who lived in the tower were members of mosques or churches primarily, but uh, other faith groups as well um and it's been widely commented on that they became the de facto emergency response mm. um, in a very extraordinary way in a way that really makes the argument about civil society more generally but faith groups in particular that those local committed long-term trusted communities are absolutely vital for the fabric of society so we really wanted to say why were they able to respond so well what did they do and what could other people wanting to serve their communities um, in community groups learn from it uh, so uh, that work is ongoing but it's been launched and and, and covered in the media and and we'll be wanting to disseminate the findings to faith communities and others about how they can be as amazing mm. as those groups around the Grenfell Tower were
1: and we know this don't we that, that churches we are placed all around the UK and we had on a podcast a while ago Susie Mappledon from Manchester and after the Ariana Grand concert where just so many children were separated from their families and yeah. it was the Christian youth workers among others yeah, yeah. who just swooped in and were yeah. safe pairs of hands and stayed put and, and and did a lot of the kind of behind the scenes work in, in reaching these young people yeah. so this report I really recommend people getting hold of it we'll see if we can uh, grab some at some point and uh, disseminate through U-Scape. that would be amazing yeah, that'd be fantastic I so i think we all need a little bit more old fields, <laughs> somehow now you're a very busy woman yeah. so you're on twitter what's your twitter I handle i'm theos elizabeth
2: on twitter and you can tell when i'm procrastinating a big piece of work because i'm tweeting too much lots of time or when i'm uh, managing to have logged off and go silent for several days because i have to get my head down um and we have a website theosthinktank.co.uk and that podcast is called The Sacred. Um, and i'd love people to listen to it and also it's the kind of thing we really want it to be something that people of all faith and none can listen to and lots of our uh, friends and followers have said it's really helpful because you know sally phillips was on it this that we try and get sort of a range of people so that people who are interested in disability or race or anything can send it to their friends and say look here's this really interesting conversation it's not super christian it's not in your face we're not trying to preach anything it's just people reflecting in a personal way about what they
1: believe. Um, so it hopefully is quite a good entry point for starting Fantastic. conversations. That is so good. And it could be that we have in our churches and our youth groups mini Elizabeth, young people who... It's a terrifying prospect. It's a wonderful <laughs> prospect, you know, who actually have enormous questions. They're quite terrifying, actually, because their questions are big and they yeah. think deeply. I remember that feeling of vertigo.
2: Like, what if this all falls away from under my feet? absolutely awful like that that experience wow. of losing my faith essentially but incredibly formative and at least for me really necessary really necessary um so i'd say don't be scared like uh th- through that in the other side is a is a is a deeper more intellectually satisfying more uh, joyful uh, relationship with god wow. um but do get help like go to yeah. reboot. Like, uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Follow some great, interesting, empathetic, thoughtful apologists. Like, read some books. Uh, uh, if your youth worker doesn't feel qualified, ask them to connect mm. you with some adults who do. There should be in every church at least one person <laughs> who will take you for a cup of coffee and let you cry on them and say, "What if this is all nonsense?" Like, ask that question. What if it's all nonsense? Mm. Because Paul says, you know, if Jesus is not raised, then we are. Yes, we're fools. So, yes. like, if it if, if, if it's not true, you need to know it. And if it is, then like it will set you up for a life of feeling That's bold awesome. and free with it.
1: That is awesome. And I, I just think it's brilliant being sat here watching you with your team, um, just releasing these fantastic people who are doing some brilliant work in the public sphere. Thank you so much for who you are and what you do. And we will be cheering you on next time you're on Radio 4. Thank Thought you for the love. day. Bless you. You bye can bye go back bye. to your little uh, novel now if you want to. Yeah.
2: <laughs> just sit in my office and read.
0: The Youthscape Podcast. Absolutely brilliant interview, uh, Rachel. Thank
1: um,
0: you. I mean, it's mainly her. <laughs>
1: yes, yes,
0: to be honest, but you were there too. So well no, done. No, well done for pressing record. Thank you. But, um, uh, you know, we talk a lot on the podcast about different groups of young people, different types of young people, and there are a big kind of group, a big segment mm. of young people that we might work with who actually the intellectual stuff really matters. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the plausibility of the Christian faith for them hinges on whether they can make sense of it. And yes, the heart stuff's important, but there are those questions that they do need, if not to answer to wrestle with and to give value to mm. and so there are some brilliant people who are who are working in that area who are doing some great stuff and um, who we we do want to signpost people yes. don't we so this
1: weekend yes. coming
0: there is an event in London isn't there?
1: it's called Reboot um, and it's speakers the likes of um, the Ravi Zacharias Trust, or yeah. Ewing, yeah. and Ruth Jackson's behind it, yeah. Liz Oldfield and others an opportunity for young people to knock up against planet brains yeah. and as you say that sense of if somebody who thinks like that is Engaging with faith, then I'm going to hang on in there and yeah. bring all of this to to, to my faith as well. I, that, that is so important. Often, as youth workers, we might feel that that doesn't resonate with us, or maybe we don't feel that we can necessarily open up these big conversations around neoliberalism and kind of science developments all that kind of stuff. Mm. But actually, there are many people who can, mm. and we absolutely have to signpost. So you can get a hold of them by booking via rebootglobal.org. So we would really encourage you to check that out. I remember when I
0: was a young boy, when I was a student, actually. Um, I'd been through Soul Survivor and I'd done all the experiential stuff, but I really remember reading C.S. Lewis when I was mm, at university. Oh,
1: I do as well. And
0: thinking, I'm so glad that this guy, you know, yeah, has come to is this clever and yes. has come to the same conclusions as me. It, yeah. it really is affirming to know that the absolute brainiest. Great intellectuals ever have also arrived at this conclusion. what would be
1: a great book? I would say Timothy Keller's Reason for God. We give that to some of our older youth who are really hungry to explore some of these big issues.
0: Well, do you know what? I'd love to know how Mere Christianity goes down now. So I read Mere Christianity when I was... Fifteen, I think Mm -hmm. and and you know what I mean that was absolutely transformational for me I've talked on the podcast before about the good mad bad god Mm -hmm. kind of uh, argument and and why that was one of the reasons I came to faith really and I'd I'd love to know maybe you could uh, let us know at podcast at youthscape.co.uk you know does mere christianity still work for kids in 2018 or is it time for a rewrite? Yes. Oh, that's a money spinner.
1: That is a money spinner. Because <laughs> the language is a bit clunky, isn't it? Yeah, the of its age. Can you but, rewrite but C.S. Say, Lewis? It's great
0: truth. I'm off to rewrite C.S. Lewis. Fantastic! I think I've just <laughs> had my million pound
1: idea. <laughs> so, while Martin goes and does that, bless you guys. I hope that you have a great week, and we look forward to speaking into your lovely love goals next week. Like. <laughs> There are no real (laughs) grown-ups.